your favorite cartoon characters will help you understand how drugs and alcohol can ruin your life. So watch the program. Talk about it with your family. Special presentation with Mike and or Alvin will not be seen tonight. Okay, it is now post Thanksgiving, and it's time to start thinking about those the the specials that they ran after Thanksgiving to keep the kids from uh, driving the adults uh, crazy while they were lying around bloated and drunk, <laughs> and. You know, you can't yet get the kids bloated and drunk. Try as we might. So we have to we have to instead put them in front of the Garfield Thanksgiving special and the Peanuts Thanksgiving special. And there's basically no other Thanksgiving specials, which is what led my one of my local uh, TV stations when I was a kid to get a little creative. <laughs> so... <laughs> So this is I think I, what they showed. Did I tell the story on the show? I don't remember. Or... So tell tell it again because it's more relevant this time. <laughs> yeah. So I watched the. So when I was in like second or third grade after Thanksgiving, I watched the uh, the Garfield special and the Peanut special. And when I got back to school, everyone was talking about how they watched the Peanut special and then Tubby the Tuba. And I was like, how did this happen? Apparently they had all watched it on like an independent station while I watched like the CBS version of Garfield and uh, Charlie Brown. <laughs> so some other channel was like, we got the Peanuts special, but we can't get Garfield. So tell me the tuba. We got something, something fat. That's good enough, right? Yes. It's our fat little friend, Tubby the tuba. <laughs> Tubby the tuba. Raise your hands if you already lo- know and love Tubby the tuba. I see no hands. <laughs> I have, uh, I had not heard of Tubby the Tuba prior to this. And um, I'm not sure why they would decide to show this on Thanksgiving. Oh, wait. Um, Maybe wait. it's because Tubby learned to be grateful for. Oompa? Yeah, I got nothing. Um <laughs> Actually, Tubby learned nothing in this, honestly. Of Oz? Oh, no. Did something just happen? No. Hello? Hello? Uh oh. Oh, can you hear me? Uh oh. I can hear you. Can you hear oh. me? Yeah. What? What's going on? Oh. Nothing. I, I didn't do anything. Did you do something? <laughs> no, I just heard a weird a ding, and I thought that, like, you dropped out or something, but it sound, looks like you didn't. You're still here. No. Okay. And well, I'm now we have something to be thankful for. Oh yeah, that's right. Whew. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure thankful for this modern technology, which allows us. <laughs> I like how it's like we're living in 2023. We basically have like Star Trek communicators and shit, but like we're just whining yeah. about like, oh, I, I wish this incredible futuristic technology. Oh, it's so annoying. And so, um, it'd be nice if it worked though. Like on Star Trek. Mm, uh, yeah. Instead, we're living in fucking Brazil. Ugh. Um, the movie. You know, there's a weird. 
there's a weird little connection there. I think I told the story here of how it was a somebody who worked at Apple that walked, watched how Picard just says, uh, put on some Tchaikovsky or whatever. And he's like, well, P Captain Picard doesn't have to put a cartridge in a slot or anything. How could we do that with our computers? And that led to, you know, some of the earliest uh, digitizing codecs like QuickTime. Wow. And well, yeah. That, so Star Trek really did sort of uh, lead the generation. But, uh, but at the time, Apple was associated closely with Pixar. Mm -hmm. And Pixar at that time was like, you know, nobody. They'd made like one thing. They made like uh, Andre and Wally D or whatever. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to 10 years before that and how Pixar had future Pixar head Ed Catmull was involved with a project to create what would be the first computer-generated movie. This movie was Tubby the Tuba. Now... It turned out... Yeah. <laughs> hmm. You know, you really wouldn't think to watch it that there's... You may... Yes. You may have noticed that Tubby the Tuba is not computer generated by any means. It looks like a slightly higher budget episode of fat Albert. <laughs> yeah, that that's, that's about it. Um, so why did they, when I first started watching, I was like, this kind of reminds me of Charlotte's web. And then I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. Charlotte's web. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. The vibe is very much like, this is from like what? 1970 something. I think. Yeah, this is what movies were kind of like in the 1970s. It's kind of like, oh, if you ever seen Journey Back to Oz, it's kind of like that one, too. Mm, I haven't seen that, but it does remind me a lot of if you watch like in the 70s and 80s when they made like kind of made for TV cartoon movies like, you know, mm. like Scooby-Doo and the Ghoul School or like The Good, the Bad and Huckleberry Hound, where... Yeah, they just feel like they took a, they feel like fix ups where they just took a bunch of shorter cartoons and mashed them all together. Um, this. Yeah, you really get that from this one. Yeah, um, I think. Oh, yeah, I think Inspector Gadget, the movie is probably the worst offender because it literally is like eight different Inspector Gadget cartoons just played one after the other without even a frame. Oh, story. Like like the Heathcliff movie, but that had a frame yes, story. Yes, exactly like the Heathcliff movie. Not a coincidence, I think, that they're both by Deke. But no. <laughs> um, Remember, Deke stands for do it cheap. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it does. Um, now, Toby the Tuba, uh, so they were going to make this computer animated, but they didn't. Uh, do we know why? Yes. Was it? Well, I mean, for one thing, it was 1975. People barely knew what computers were. How are you going to make an animated movie with computers at that time? But that is why, like this, like the the Institute of Research from New York University or something is credited in this. It's so they were gonna. That's so weird that they even thought of that. They were like, "It's nice seventy five. Compute a computer is. If you want a computer, you basically go to the Pentagon." And find like you know one of those yeah. warehouses full of vacuum tubes. You know, it's like we're gonna we're gonna use the the the, the Univac machine to make a cartoon. It's like why would you even <laughs> think that? Um, but I, 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 I you know at the time the the biggest video game was Pong, <laughs> and Pong doesn't even have Pong doesn't even have ROMs. Pong is basically you know put put together with chewing gum. 
<laughs> you can't emulate Pong because there isn't software. Yeah. So they, um, I'm trying to look up now. Apparently, oh, okay. One second. I got to look up the actual first computer animated film. Uh, I'm trying to find it because I think it is. Oh, so the actual first ever computer animated film is supposedly from 1974. Uh, hmm. So Tubby the Tuba is what? It was 1975. Five. Oh, so if it had been computer animated, they would have just missed the boat. Um, now, the very first one, it's a 1974 animated short film produced by the National Film Board of Canada. So you know it's good. Of course. It called <laughs> Hunger or La Fame because it's Canadian. So it has to be in both English and uh, French. Um, and if you've seen this, it's very weird. It looks like all just wireframe animation. Um, and if that was a state of computer animation at the time, you, you, I mean, it looks like, yeah, if you, if you made a, uh, um, uh, yeah, Pong in, into like, uh, uh, yeah, it, I don't think you could watch yeah. a long film in this style. Um, but anyway, I guess they didn't. So we'll never see what Tubby the Tuba would have looked like computer animated in 1975. Um, well, I think they looked for uh, computer animation because it's ostensibly about inanimate objects. And so the funny thing is, about 10 years later, they basically tried this again. And the people who would still, who would go on to be the uh, some of the stars of Pixar were trying to push a CGI movie to Disney, and that movie was The Brave Little Toaster. Oh. Is that CG? Now, The Brave Little Toaster is not CG, also not CGI. There are some parts that are very nice and smooth, like uh, the, sh the shots with the, uh, the, the uh, demoniacal electromagnet at the end, mm, but mm. that's about it. Oh, okay. Hmm. Well, um... So tell me the tuba. We've talked a lot about what it isn't. So what is it? Okay. <laughs> okay. So tell me the tuba ostensibly is like a, a sort of opera for kids that it's sort of like how if you take your kids to like a tiny tots concert and then they play Peter and the wolf, it's that kind of thing. Oh yeah. This is a, this is a thing that, used to be like used to be big i guess before we had like you know tv tv um because i because i i know that like you know growing up like yeah there's a lot of operas for children and um there's people who specialize in making operas for children and you know whenever you watch them it's like yeah this probably was you know kids in the 1800s were probably very entertained by this but i don't live in the 1800s <laughs> you know um, I can name two uh, operas for children that stick with me forever. What are one they? is the one they did on one is the one they did on Mister Rogers, mm -hmm. where it was an opera about a cow who didn't want to grow up and give milk, <laughs> and she had a best friend who was a potato bug, who suggests to her that maybe she should grow up to be a potato bug instead. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's very kids opera. That really is, and it had you know. There's this one shot line in it that just makes me laugh 
off, laugh my ass off every time where the cow is like, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to go tell my mother that I'm going to grow up to be a potato bug. And the potato bug kind of goes like, uh, I better wait here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to be any part of that. <laughs> um. I remember uh, there's the I remember seeing the opera of Hansel and Gretel, mm. um, which is fine. It's it's pretty good, you know, as far as um, opera versions of Hansel and Gretel go. Um, mm. You know, it's one of those things where you watch it and you're like, yeah, I kind of know what's going to happen, but you know, yeah. I mean, I know Hansel and Gretel, yeah, which is you know funny because Hansel and Gretel is one of the few movies, one one of the few uh, stories there isn't a Disney version of. That's true. That's true. But there are at least there 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 are like about a hundred puppetoon versions and about two hundred <laughs> uh, horror reimaginings of it and ah, there's yeah. at least one that involves uh what is it like hansel and gretel and a bong i think versus evil bong or something <laughs> i forget it's been oh is that oh. well i did read one cool version for uh for young adults uh that ended with uh where instead of instead of a uh a gingerbread house. It was like a video game shop, and uh, Hansel was hypnotized into playing all the time. So she she ruined his visual diet. <laughs> and the, yeah, and basically because it was a blind witch who was harvesting people's eyes, and she was training his eyes so she could use them. That's actually kind of cool. Um, yeah, that is. A, I like that. That's a very good reimagining. I was about to say that sounds like something where some cranky old man is like, "Ah, fucking kids with their video games." I'll show them. But it's actually like a really good reimagining because I feel like, I mean, kids, I'm sure, still like candy. I, I mean, that never goes out of yeah. fashion. But I feel like also living as we do in you know the land of plenty, that saying like, "Hey, there's a whole house made of candy," isn't that great? Kids would be like, "Yeah, yeah." So yeah, sure. I could just go to the store and get that, some. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and of course, let's not forget that Coraline is basically Hansel and Gretel too. That is true. That is true. So uh, Hansel and Gretel, great. A lot of pedigree there. Um, yeah. Now, uh, Tell Me the Tuba is, I guess, also an opera for children. And yeah, um, it's it's uh, nineteen from nineteen forty five by Paul Tripp, who is also a uh, children's uh opera songwriter so i guess yeah. that's his thing um and i feel like this is an extremely opera for children uh concept because i i, I don't can't think of any other examples to bolster this claim but i feel like anthropomorphizing the instruments in the orchestra is like a pretty common thing that they do you know yeah, I mean that's basically what they do with Peter and the Wolf. That's it's introducing you to the concept of light motifs. Yeah, yeah, and that's fine. It's one of those things where if I was a kid, you know, I would seeing that I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. I'm I'm not yeah. like you know, it's not a concept that I'm that excites me, but it's more of a like, well, there is an animated thing on television, so I'll watch it, sort of thing. You yeah. know, like if they made an mm -hmm. opera about dinosaurs, like kids would just like shit their pants when when that came on, or an <laughs> opera about video games. Now you're cooking with yeah. gas, you know. But <laughs> well, okay, uh, here's the other one. Once when I was in school, they we had this group that comes to uh, put on. Uh, put on productions for kids and it was like this uh this opera for kids that has the most insane plot ever where 
It's about a little girl who uh, has, it's her birthday and she gets a belt. She gets a beautiful belt and she gets chocolate cake. And she, and along the time, way she asks, well, where does chocolate come from? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Probably from outer space. <laughs> and they come to the conclusion that Arapo comes from, yeah, chocolate comes from the planet Arapo, where you wear what you eat and you eat what you wear. That, and then that, that night she she dreams that uh, aliens come to her house to uh, steal her belt to turn it into chocolate. That is definitely, you know what? That is definitely the most insane plot for a children's opera that I've ever heard. <laughs> yes, and it was all sung too. So, God, it just yeah, like he's like you said, the the concept of a children's opera seems so alien today. You know, it's not. You know, we don't we don't take. It's not if in. I guess maybe if you live, I don't know, in in Manhattan and you're like going to the opera with your little opera glasses. I assume people in Manhattan go to the opera. You have to bring your kids <laughs> to an opera or something if you're if you're like one of those eyes wide shut type people. But yeah. I mean, normal they people. They won't let you leave them at FAO Schwartz anymore. Oh, yeah, right. that's right. <laughs> yeah, I can't do anything. Thanks a lot. Um, uh, Mitt Romney. Eric um, Schwartz. Eric Schwartz. <laughs> <laughs> Is that his name? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's why when you go to FAO Schwartz, there's that gigantic Trojan a Sabrina skunk in the in the doorway. Um, that's right. Oh, Eric Adams, that was what I was thinking. Oh, okay. Eric Adams. Yeah, thanks a lot Eric to him, Schwartz. too. <laughs> they'll, they'll team up. <laughs> Eric Adams and Eric Schwartz. And I bet Eric Schwartz would make a much better mayor of New York. Uh, I'm sure he would. He'd be yeah. up there being like, all right, my first, my first uh, uh, thing... As mayor, what do you call a thing that mayors do? A commandment? My first commandment as mayor <laughs> is uh, br we're bringing back Amigas. Everyone's going to be using yeah. Amigas. Second commandment, more cheese on things. Um, <laughs> everyone's left foot is now called Eric after me. Uh, Eric Schwartz. <laughs> oh, you're the best. Uh, deep cut. Ask your parents. Yes. All right. Anyway, tell me the tuba. Let's... Let's, um, so, uh, Paul... It's hard to focus on Tubby the Tuba because Tubby the Tuba has no real focus. Oh, my God. So, this was, um, yeah, so this was, uh, Paul Tripp, uh, of, of Tubby the Tuba fame, I guess, wrote and, uh, did he direct this as well? It's... No, he, uh, he... He narrated it. That's so. right. So, he narrated. I did like in the beginning, opening credits, it really... They have like a big fanfare when it says narrated by Paul Cliss, like, or sorry, by Paul Tripp. Yay! <laughs> narrated by Peter Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so the Paul Tripp narration, I guess, was like, it felt like it's supposed to be like a big deal, but I was like, I don't, I don't know who that is. Maybe he was big in yeah. the 70s. And apparently he was, because he did Tubby the Tuba. Um, mm -hmm. Now. Oh, he also wrote. A book called The Christmas That Almost Wasn't. Oh, Not to be confused with The Halloween That Almost Wasn't. Oh, yeah. The Christmas That Almost Wasn't, but then it was. I remember that from The Simpsons. <laughs> actually, it was... Actually, The Christmas That Almost Wasn't, the movie adaption, appeared on a recent season of Mystery Science Theater. Oh, that, uh, that's, uh, that must mean it was very good. <laughs> All right. So we got... Um, so tell me the tuba. Now, uh, Ethan, when you talked about this last time, you mentioned... Well, I think that it is a um, – it literally is a fix-up. They, they jammed a second cartoon in the middle of it or – It feels like it, doesn't it? Because you watched both versions, right? Yes. Because I sent, I sent you the link to both the movie and the original Puppetoon short. Yes. 
So now yeah. the Puppetune the... was in Spanish, but I f- oh oops, I figured it out. <laughs> you know, I, I could figure it out. Like okay, he Tubby Tubby the Tube is sad because all the other instruments make fun of him for sounding like a fart, and then he goes to and he's he's sad by a, a river, and then a frog says, "I love your farty sound, Tubby the Tuba. Why don't you play my music?" And because it sounds like frogs, you know, like tubas. And so he does. Yeah. And then he's a big hit. I mean, that's basically it, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. And basically all of that gets worked into, gets included in the feature film. And then in between there, there's two totally unrelated stories. Yeah. And that's the thing is like these story, the, the two unrelated stories um, are okay, you know, as, as if they were, like just their own unreal. If they had just done those, they're not really good or anything. But no, the no. It, the problem is this just has this weird feeling where Tubby the Tuba has an adventure and then learns nothing and has no bearing on anything going forward. And then in the last five <laughs> minutes of this this movie of this hour and a half long movie, in the last five minutes, this frog appears and solves the problem that has been plaguing him the entire film. <laughs> so, yeah. This may be the worst thing we've watched. I... Mm, mm, it's pretty bad. I don't know if it's the worst thing. Um, I mean, the, the Control-Alt-Delete series is pretty bad. Uh, that was pretty bad, yeah. But um, this, this feels like... Well, you know what? Uh, this feels like they were people involved who should have known better. Uh, so maybe that makes yeah. it worse. Um, but we've got Paul. I would say that this is this is when you weigh quality against uh, budget. This is the worst movie for your money that we've gotten so far. Yeah, yeah. So was this a theatrical film? I yes, oof. this did get a theatrical release. God, living in nineteen seventy five, so, dire. Um, we've so yeah. Um, Ed Catmull, Ed Catmull of Pixar went on to say about the initial reaction to Tubby. It was awful. It was terrible. Half the audience fell asleep at the screening. We walked out of the room thinking, thank God we didn't have anything to do with it, that our computers were not used for anything in that movie. (laughs) You know, and that is saying something, because I feel like audiences in 1975, especially children, would be a lot more forgiving of this sort of garbage, because Mm -hmm. everything was garbage. I fell asleep. Yeah. um, I I definitely had some trouble paying attention, because... um, So... We do have some star power in this for 1975. Oh, yeah. um, a lot of people who um, yeah, should have known better. <laughs> yes, we got Dick Van Dyke as Tubby the Tuba. Um, yeah. You all know Dick Van Dick. Dyke from the Dick Van Dyke Show and yeah. lots of other stuff. He's you know even today. I mean, people still know Dick Van Dyke. He's you know yeah. um, uh, still active at 97. Uh, we have. Yeah. David Way Wayne, to go. Uh, David Wayne as Pee Wee the Piccolo. Um, Do you know David Wayne from something? I wasn't. I had to look him up. Um, no, I'm looking up right now. Uh, but he has been in a lot of stuff, including yes. um, nothing that I have ever seen. But um, apparently, he was the Mad Hatter on the 19 in the 60s Batman. Oh, okay. Um, that's good. Well, you know, he's like I said, he's he's. Um, he was in M, actually, so that's oh, wow. you know uh, that's a uh, yeah. 
That um, is a strong cut. I f- oh, and we no. may see him in another film that we're going to look at someday because he was in The Sad Sack based on... The Sad Sack? Yeah. Ba- based on Sad Sack, the comic strip? Exactly. Oh, wow. Uh, so we'll probably be seeing uh, this fellow again. Um, we also have Pearl Bailey as Mrs. Elephant. Um, Pearl Bailey, boy... What a waste of Pearl Bailey, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's And just like a couple years later, she got to be on the Muppet show and she blew the roof off. <laughs> well, she is um, you know, this is not her um str- you know, she's basically she plays Mrs. Elephant and you know, you, yeah, that that's about it. Um Mrs. Elephant. However, I do want to point out, I think something very interesting about Pearl Bailey uh, is that Pearl Bailey, a Republican, was appointed by President Richard Nixon to be America's very first ambassador of love in 1970. <laughs> so what a bizarre choice. Yeah. So make of that what you will. I I I don't know. That I guess Pearl Bailey got sent overseas to the nation of love to um, I don't know represent America. I don't know what duties she had as the ambassador of love. I, 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 I assume Richard Nixon was just, just saw her and was like, that's a woman, <laughs> you know? Um, anyway, uh, so, um, we get Pearl Bailey. We get Jack Guilford in this as the Herald. Um, it's a bigger role than you might think from not having a name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is in the beginning when we have like the credits rolling, they basically have like, they, they show the character and the character says a line that presumably is like their catchphrase or something. It sort of feels like, like, well, we can't pay you, but we'll make sure that everyone hears your voice and knows your name. Yeah. It's just funny because the, the Herald says something like, can you hear me? Which is like, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then we get uh, Ray Middleton as the great Pepperino. Um, uh, he's, he's, uh, you'll know him from the Ed Sullivan show. Um, <laughs> All you Ed Sullivan fans out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything he would have been seen in by the last couple of generations outside of his appearance on MASH. Yeah, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of, let's just say, there's a lot of working actors in this. Um, there's a lot of people who were dead more less than 10 years later. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this, again, this is kind of, this is sort of a thing like older cartoons where they're like, I, I feel like, when they were always just like, maybe people like, Oh, they're always, you know, like nowadays you watch a cartoon and they're like, who are the kids like? Oh, we're going to put Aquafina in our cartoon, you know, or something. <laughs> we're going to put Aquafina and the, 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 the angry video game nerd and uh, the annoying orange. They're going to voice things in our cartoon. I don't know what the kids are into. I'm just assuming. Whereas in the seventies, they were like, okay, who do I, an old person making a cartoon think is a big deal. We're going to get someone from like 1920s vaudeville to come, you know, a hundred year old man to come into our cartoon. So, you know, you got a lot of older names in these old cartoons. <laughs> Tell me the tuba voiced by Senor Wences. Yeah. <laughs> 
we're gonna we're gonna get Puppuccino in our cart. Not Puppuccino. Um, who the fuck was that mouse puppet? Oh, Topo Gigi. Topo Gigi. Yeah. Thank you. We're gonna get Topo Gigi. <laughs> the kids will love it. Um, now we also right. have. Um, uh, let's see. We get Jane Powell as Celeste and Cyril Richard as the frog who does not get a line. Like the frog. Yeah, he he doesn't get a line when they introduce him. They just show him sort of like spinning his bow tie and being like frog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we get Ruth Enders as the haughty violin, and I mean, it, this is a movie called Tubby the Tuba. You can kind of guess what kind of role the haughty violin is going to play in this. Yes, and she appears. I think saying something like looking like this little holding her glasses down her nose and saying disgraceful, you know, or, or something like that. I don't know exactly. She says something like, you know, how dare you? Or a handbag, you know, she talks like that hippo in Rocco's modern life. Yeah. Okay. I went to Ruth Ender's, her uh, IMDB page and it takes you straight to Tubby the Tuba. Oh, You know, I mean, I'll just say this. I mean, no no shade on Ruth Enders, whom uh, apparently only did this. Um, but this is a role that I feel like it, in the 70s, pretty much every woman, once you hit age 40, this is the role that you play. Like, you yeah. know, like, a, like an outraged dowager duchess sort of thing, you know? <laughs> Um, anyway, we also... It looks like she was also in The Christmas That Almost Wasn't and Mr. I Imagination, which was also created also created by Paul Tripp. So she had some relationship with Tripp. Okay, that, that scans. Um, finally, we also get probably the most baffling character, uh, Miss Squeak, who is uh, played by Hermione Gingold. And, um, yeah. and the thing is... She when we get these names right now, Hermione Gingold is an English or was an English actress known for her sharp-tongued, eccentric character. Um, mm-hmm. She was, you know, in, in a lot of stuff. But uh, what I think is more interesting is, you know, in when we see all these characters, they uh, in the beginning when they're introducing them, we see their name and who plays them, and then after like a brief pause, the the picture of the character appears, right? So we got yeah. Mrs. Elephant as the first one after Tubby the Tuba. And then we see Miss Squeak. And I was thinking like, oh, clearly a mouse. This is going to be a mouse character, right? And no, she's not a mouse. She's. Well, I'm not sure what she is. She's like a human um, instrument hybrid. Yeah, she she looks like I, I I honestly don't know what she's supposed to look like. She looks like. The, the only thing I could think of watching her is, like, if Filmation decided to try to animate um, uh, Lady Friday f- puppet from uh, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> yeah. Lady, you mean Lady Elaine Fairchild? That's it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, and, and and the thing is, once we get Rogers to her role in the movie, it. it's, I think, even more baffling. Um it really is. Yeah. This whole movie is pretty baffling. Honestly. Yeah. But the thing is like, there's like we said, there's basically there's, there's the main thing with the frog, which was in the puppet tune. And then there's two 
shorter films inserted into this to pad out the runway length to a feature film. And one of them is a very standard runaway to the circus story. Very, you know, exactly what you'd expect, pretty much. And then the second one is absolutely insane. And um, (laughs) I don't, I I guess we'll get to it because I don't, I, I, I don't think anything we can say before talk you know what let's just let's just get into tubby the tuba let's talk about tubby the tuba yeah Yeah, let's tub it up we're gonna do some tub something (laughs) yeah we just i am i am gonna get knocked down and then i'm going to get up again we're just we're just a couple of tub girls here talking about tubby the tuba Okay, so Tubby the Tuba starts with our the exact same intro as the uh, sh- as the short film. We have an orchestra tuning up, and what is weird about this orchestra is that it is all instruments that play other examples of themselves. Yeah, what what is up with that? Because it's <laughs> it's it's an like an anthropomorphic instrument playing a regular instrument. Yeah. Sometimes the regular instrument is part of them, sometimes not. You know, we have this whole row of uh, horns that are just playing horns that look exactly like their own heads. But then we have Tubby, and he just sort of has a sort of coil that he plays, and then music comes out of his own head. Yes. And um, just so everyone's clear, uh, now, when you think of an anthropomorphic tuba, I think we all know that the face is going to be on kind of on the, the side of the bell and the music will come out of the top of the head. Right. Yes. Okay. We're all. And I think the first time we say anthropomorphic tuba, you imagined a Tyrolean hat, right? Well, you were correct. Yes. He's, he's got like a little, he's got a little suit on like a little kind of like a, yeah. Tyrolean hat. He's got a little suit. He looks like he should be like taking a nice little, um, Vonder in the, uh, in the Alps. Yes. Um, and, um, he is, he, yeah, he has, he has a coil he holds in his pocket. He takes it out and plays it sometimes, but, and it magically makes the music come out of his head. Um, but at least, at least he's actually, you know, he, he's producing the music in the way out of himself where every other instrument is just playing an instrument. Um, like the violins are all just holding violins that they're playing, not even yeah, though they have they strings on their yeah. bodies, they don't play their own strings. Oh, uh, oh, well, there's one other, the pic- the piccolo, who's his best friend. Uh, he really looks phallic for one thing. And because he has this incredibly long neck with his pinched little head on top. And also he has all of these valves going up and down his neck. So it looks like he's, you know, had someone take a machine gun to his throat. Yeah. He's it's like one of those it's really disturbing. There's a little bit of body horror there. Yeah. It's like one of those cows that they put like portholes into. <laughs> yeah. But he is, um, then we get, uh, we, Oh, actually I, sh- I, I amend my early statement. The xylophone does play himself. Yes. The xylophone plays himself. The xylophone. We, I think we feels like he should be oh, a bigger uh, but, character in this, but he really is. Yeah, He really does. Yeah. Yeah. There's all, also that, uh, also that pot-bellied bass drum seems like he should be a more major figure. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the the haughty violin is really the only. But besides, I mean, I guess they're all kind of just the the thing is that they're all dicks to Tubby because um, 
Tubby is... Tubby, he's chasing the melody, which in this case is like an actual animated musical note. And he's making a huge mess of the entire orchestra somehow. And then he sits on it and it, and it whimpers and dies or something. Yeah. It's... Uh, this whole bit is kind of, it's a little like symbolic because obviously the, because they're, they're tossing like this note back and forth to represent that different parts of the orchestra are coming into play. And yeah, when it gets to Tubby, he is as a tuba, he goes umpa umpa, and so he fucks everything up by sitting on the the note and killing the melody. I guess. Um, I guess. I mean, I mean, I can think of, I can think of uh, songs that have a tu- uh, melody lit, lit, led by a tuba, but I suppose they may have come after this. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are. Uh, the um, apparently, I guess this was all inspired by, or the original 1945 operetta was inspired by Paul Tripp uh, hearing a tuba player complain that tubas, I guess, just don't get to do much. You know? Yeah. Um, I guess. I guess it was the 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 exact quote is, you know, tubas can sing too. Uh, so he <laughs> decided to make this into a film. Um, so uh, Tubby is now sad everyone laughs at him you know as 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 you do in these sorts of films um the uh oh the violins uh get mad at him because he calls them fiddles which yeah i thought was pretty funny because uh my grandmother god rest her soul was a concert violinist and if Mm -hmm. she ever got called a fiddler she would fucking lose it she was (laughs) as she liked to say she was no mere gut plucker she was, she was, uh, you know, she was a, like, Me- hmm? meanwhile, my dad has a big bumper sticker on his fiddle case that says pay the fiddler. <laughs> well, well, your dad, also plays the guitar, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. Guitar, guitaron, a lot of different instruments. Well, my grandmother would probably have a lot of words about that. She has, yeah. she had very little regard for, uh, instruments that required actually yes. touching the strings. Um, well, he also, he also plays the strovile. Oh, I don't even know what that is. Uh, let me get a picture of it for you because it is, I think it's one of the coolest things he does though. I should and see if you can describe it. Cause I'm not sure if I can. All right. Well, let me take a look here. I should also mention that my, my grandmother, besides playing the violin also played the viola. So she really didn't have any, you know, room to, to talk smack about anything else considering apparently orchestra concert uh orchestra people love to make fun of violas people because it's apparently the easiest instrument to play so they make viola player jokes like blonde jokes apparently so okay um this thing that you're showing me this is clearly not a real instrument this is like this is like a gizmo from a tim burton movie (laughs) like like johnny depp would be using this in sleepy hollow uh it is apparently Okay, it is a violin strings with the, the what do you call the fiddle neck thing in the middle? The neck, it has the strings yeah. on it. But the rest of the violin is gone, and instead it's got two, like, uh, Victrola horns. One large, one small, and at the very bottom, what appears to be a bicycle kickstand. So, <laughs> I uh, is this, this that's, that's the chin rest? Okay, and this is an actual <laughs> thing that your dad can play. 
Yes, it, it plays just like a violin. The whole point of it is that it's like a violin, but louder. It's from the pre-electric era. Damn. So. Uh, this is very cool, actually. Um, and I, yeah. I did not know that your dad was uh, was steampunk. <laughs> he's he's actually pretty steampunk. Sometimes diesel punk. Yeah, he has a whole bunch of like uh, old uh, old timey microphones from the '30s that he's gutted and put new uh, new stuff in so he can use them on stage. Damn, that's pretty cool. You know, I would I would like to see your your dad on stage one of these days. I feel like for everything oh, yeah. I've heard, he got, he does a good show. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> But, you know, he's no Tubby the Tuba. Well, well, um, who is Tubby the Tuba these days? Nobody is. Nobody tubs a tuba like Tubby the Tuba. Okay, so nope. Tubby the Tuba, um, everyone laughs at him, and he, he leaves the orchestra. Like, um, fat little tuba, fat little tuba, fat little tuba. <laughs> everybody is calling him fat. He's, I mean... He's, he's just kind of normal cartoon character shape. Yeah. This, I think this is an example of how, you know, if they actually made him fat, then kids wouldn't identify with him. Man, dark, grim. But uh, yeah, uh, but he leaves the orchestra. He's all sad. So his friend, the piccolo, sings a, a, a song, I guess, to cheer him up and to pad out the running time. Uh, mm-hmm. Things because you know how it is, Ethan. Things might be bad. Things might be better. Things might be bad. Things might be worse. And it's like, yeah, you've really covered your bases. That is all the things that things can be. So, uh, Wait, I forgot to list the, all the things that things can be. <laughs> things might be unbetter. Things might be less than worse, than, but, but better than that. No, what are they thinking? <laughs> yeah, this, this song really goes on and on. But that is... That is yeah, so... It it makes sense that Tubby completely writes it off. I would. I mean, I mean, actually, this is again the state of uh, music in children's cartoons and film. Uh, I think Pre Little yes. Mermaid, they all kind of yeah. sucked. I mean, the the best you could hope once in a while you gotta where there's a whip, there's a way. Yeah, yeah. Like I think the best you could hope for is like you can you might get a little bit of like maybe there'll be a jazz number, but like. You know, it's funny that, like, until, what, 1989, you would not hear, like, rock music in a cartoon, which is very weird. Well, that would, you know, that would get all the mothers sounding like Mrs. Fiddle. Oh, yeah, exactly. How dare you? So, um, yeah, we get a, we get, I guess this is kind of operatic music, maybe, but whatever. Anyway, the point is, Tubby sees a circus come to town, and a little tiny version of Tubby comes out of his head. I guess this is his, um, conscience or whatever. Um, he doesn't, it seems to be a physical, uh, (laughs) presence. There are times when he uses his smaller self as, like, a tool. Oh, that's he, right. Like opens a door with it. <laughs> yeah. At the end, his his better self or whatever is gathered with the others clapping for him. So it's like, so he just has like a remote version of himself, like like that comic where Superman gained the ability to shoot smaller Superman out of his fingers. <laughs> Tubby the Tuba, he's full of tinier men. Um, <laughs> it is, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where they. Uh, obviously they, they intended this to be like his inner monologue, but they didn't think it through very much. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I, I guess you know, they just... this movie feels like an exquisite corpus. Mm. Like they had like 
they didn't know what the next person in line, what the last person had done. And they were just sort of, you know, filling in what they thought was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's funny because they like, they have, um, Tubby, the Tubby, the tuba. It's like, clearly he needs a friend to like talk to, to convince him to do stuff, but they didn't give him one. So he's got this inner monologue instead because the Piccolo character is kind of a non-entity. He's just, you know, he doesn't, he's just there. He, yeah, he, he should come with him, honestly. But then there's the scene later where the Piccolo gets fed up with him. And I guess you can't do that with your, uh, inner, your inner monologue, but it's not his conscience because the inner, because the little tubby keeps leading him to bad ideas. Yeah. I guess it's just supposed to be, I mean, I guess it's just him. Yeah. I guess it's, uh, it's, I guess it's basically the what little, is it? <laughs> it's the little devil, uh, shoulder devil, I guess, you know? Yeah, but he doesn't have an angel. Yeah, so that, you know, so I guess they were like, look, just make it a little tubby, because otherwise this isn't going to, it's not going to fly. Um, but yeah, he convinces tubby to join the circus because he's like, you could be anything in the circus. You could be a tightrope walker. You could be an acrobat. You could be a clown. You don't have to be a, a tuba. You can be anything, you know? <laughs> Which is yeah. like, okay. Which is, now, doesn't the circus have a band? Yes. I would assume that they have a band. You know, they have to do that, do 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 you know, whenever they, they yeah. come out. Shouldn't he be, you know, shouldn't he have some moment when he talks to, to the steam calliope? You know, that. And the calliope is like, you know, calliope, don't you get tired of going, do 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 you know, it'd be funny. The Calliope is probably just a guy. It's a it's a anthropomorphic Calliope turning the crank on a regular Calliope. <laughs> but yeah, we we don't meet the Calliope, which is kind of a it's kind of a wasted opportunity because you could do a lot with that. But knowing this movie, they probably wouldn't. Um, it's it's basically this is the bit where you know how all kids movies basically they either they're only they're only two themes for kid, two lessons in kids movies one is you can be anything if you put your mind to it the other one is be yourself and uh this movie seems like it's gonna go the whole you can be anything but then later on it decides no just be yourself so um yeah, yeah. uh but anyway uh tubby the tuba he he joins the circus and they say oh you're an anthropomorphic tuba well you know you'll be really good at uh giving water to the elephants so that's what he does. He's he's the elephant slopper, and um, so just like in the movie, water for elephants. Yeah, and he basically he's given them water, and then they say, "All right, we've had enough water. We're satisfied with the amount of water we had." Mrs. Elephant says this, played by Pearl Bailey, yes. and she's like, "Since I am now satisfied with the amount of water that I have consumed, you should go watch the circus in action because you've earned that." And um, he does that, but he accidentally like falls into the circus ring and like fucks up yeah, the whole circus, he, you know? Yeah. He wa somehow wanders onto the tightrope and this is, yeah, it doesn't make, Oh no, he doesn't, he doesn't somehow wander his, uh, the mini tubby, uh, leads him up there. Oh yeah. It's all like, and Oh, it's he, fun. Uh, and so, he, so he causes a huge accident and gets fired and, uh, to cheer him up, Mrs. Elephant, who, oh my God, some of these, some of these shots of her are just so hideous. My God. 
<laughs> Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Elephant says, well, what's so bad about your oompa? Let's hear it. And the elephants love his oompa, and uh, they start dancing. And that gets uh, Mrs. Elephant to go grab uh, Senior Pepperoncini and uh, show him, like, hey, look what's going on. And now, now it turns out that Tubby has this sort of uh, Pied Piper ability with the elephants. This This scene is great because, like, yeah, it's basically Tubby is doing his oompa, and these elephants are doing basically the elephant walk thing where they all hold each other's yeah. uh, uh, tails in their trunks, and they walk in a in this this endless they trudge in this endless circle in the moonlight. And so when the when the um, you know the ringmaster appears and he's like, I've never seen anything like this. It's so beautiful. It feels like he's witnessing some sort of like arcane ritual that like you know like he walked <laughs> into a forest clearing and some like. You know, like like Diana and her nymphs are walking around or something in a, in a circle. <laughs> like it's very, it's it's they, they they it feels a lot more portentous than it really is in this bit. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're gonna lead me to the secret elephant burial ground. Yeah, finally. <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah, this picture of Mrs. Elephant is pretty great though because. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess they were like, oh, well, obviously an elephant has two eyes, right? So uh, make sure that you we can see both eyes no matter what angle this elephant is at. You know, like like a Picasso. Yeah, she, she looks like she's protruding one eye like a conch out of its shell. Oh, my God. Real Popeye hours here, you know? Um, yeah, so she is... Uh, uh, Mrs. Elephant also, she wears, she's got like one of those little bonnets. She looks like Dumbo's mom, basically. Yeah. Um, she, there's, otherwise these elephants are very basic cartoon elephants. They look, you know, more or less, well, they have very small heads for elephants. So they look, you know, more human shaped for the most part. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And see, the thing is, these elephants all talk. So, and they're able to argue, uh, you know, argue with uh, Pepperoncini about the contract. So I was just like, you know, what's so amazing about seeing dancers dance if they're just people who happen to have trunks? That's true, but it's uh, it's a real big deal. So um, Tubby the Tuba is offered a contract to come back to the circus, but he also, as a shrewd negotiator, uh, asks that the elephants get all the peanuts they could eat, which I guess previously they didn't get, but I, I guess. No. I don't know. Um but uh, now Tubby is, he is a big deal. And um, uh, he's doing, they have that montage of like, you know, the circus going around. And now Tubby is like, you know, he's the fame is going to his head and he's forgetting the little people. And he's like doing that thing where, you know, when you get rich and famous in a cartoon and you just turn in, you suddenly start speaking with a very affected British upper class voice, mm. you know. Yeah. Oh, that's that's all very well and good, Mater. <laughs> exactly, you know, and and he's carrying around like what this this what has he got like a scepter or something now? <laughs> yeah, like, it, I, I guess it's a diamond topped cane. But, yeah, uh, but you know, it's funny because everyone. My favorite shot is where my favorite shot is where his friend the Piccolo is showing the. Uh, showing Tubby on the front of the newspaper to uh, the other instruments. And he's like, bet you're sorry you called him a fat little tuba now, right? And they all just sort of give this long sneer. <laughs> just kind of, they kind of bear forward and go, Ehh. I mean, honestly, that, that's the way I would react. <laughs> you know, if someone said, I bet you, you know, but if someone, if I made fun of someone and that person went on to like fame and fortune, and then someone showed me 
that person's picture in the newspaper and said, "Hey, don't you feel bad?" I would I would say I would I would say no, and I would treat that <laughs> person who tried to make me feel bad with utter contempt because I am extremely petty, just like an instrument in an orchestra. So yeah, this was very relatable when they reacted like that. Um, but uh, but then yeah, I guess like. Uh, you know, the piccolo, like, I think Tubby comes back to town with the circus and uh, the, he drives around in his, his, like, his chauffeured limo. He picks up the piccolo and, you know, he's being a real, like, bore and talking about how great he is, you know. Um, yeah. And um, but, and the uh, the little Tubby is encouraging this. It's like, you know, blow off this jerk. You don't need him anymore. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I mean, honestly, like the piccolo is kind of like, I wouldn't hang out with this piccolo. He's kind of annoying to be honest, you know, mm. what's he actually bringing to the table here? Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess he does that song. I guess he like, Oh, remember that one really annoying song where he said that like, Hey, things, peoples is peoples, you know, it's like, Oh, <laughs> thanks a lot. PB the piccolo, not very helpful. Um, but then it's funny because, uh, uh, what's his name? Tubby is all like, I gotta go do my thing. I have to do rehearse my my great new act. Um, here's oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, here's a free ticket for the for the show. And uh, Tubby walks away, and you know, after he walks away, Piccolo like tears up the ticket and walks and like to the ticket stand and just buys another ticket. <laughs> Why did you do that? Yeah, it's like, oh, I guess he's like, oh, I'm I'm mad at Tubby for being kind of uh you know kind of a show off so i refuse to accept his uh his charity i'm just gonna buy my own ticket but it's like why even go to the fucking show you know yeah honestly it's like i and also why why is tubby the the star of this when it's the elephants that are performing that is a very good question he literally is just do he's like i'm the most famous tuba in the world because i do that oompa it's like you mean like every tuba like literally you have shown that like you every two you're not nothing special every tuba does this you just happen to be the first one that this the the that pepperoncini has ever met apparently and he doesn't realize that's a tuba thing you know yeah. but are you the only tuba in the world were you like sent here from the planet tubatron or something <laughs> you know he, he, that's where they eat clothes and and wear chocolates um <laughs> But uh, he's it's funny because then he's like, I'm going to go do my get ready for my big new act tonight. And Pepperoncini is all like, I need to talk to you, Tubby. Um, And he and Mrs. Elephant are all like, don't do the act. It's too dangerous. And it's like, "Okay, look, he's he's scheduled to do the act tonight. Maybe you should have brought this up a little earlier, you know? Yeah. Um, Maybe they only just found out what it was. I don't know. Yeah. And it's like. He's and Tubby is all like, if you don't, I'll do the act without you if you don't want to. But it's like when we see what the act is, like once again, the elephants are the act, not Tubby. Um, yeah, because it is um, once again, Tubby cannot stay off that fucking high wire. Yeah, this time Tubby and all the elephants are on the high wire above a lion cage full of lions and tigers who have not been fed in three days. Um, and Why haven't they fed the lions and tigers? <laughs> I guess an elephant hasn't died recently. I, I, well, that changes soon. No, I don't think any elephants die in this act. But um, well, actually, uh, it's it, what does happen. He basically he falls right. He fucks it up. Like 
or something. Yeah, he falls and he falls into the lion and tiger cage, and I guess they're hungry for tuba. Oh, that's right. He's still made of brass. That's right, because they 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 bite a big hole in his pants um, as he's trying to escape, and the audience immediately just goes into hysterics at the sight of Tubby's uh, <laughs> underwear that says Oompa on it. And yeah. it's like, you know, Tubby... Of all the days to wear the underwear with the little rocket strips. <laughs> I think it's funny that like in this audience is so incredibly fickle. It's like, Tubby is not out of danger. He is literally being balled to death by, like, wild animals. But they see his ass and they're just, like, losing it. Like, it's so funny that this guy <laughs> who's dying... <laughs> you know, we saw his underwear. And... <laughs> I can see his two butt. Oh, wah, wah. Um, eventually, Tubby gets out, but like the the ringmaster's all like, "You're fired because you made." Because I don't know. I feel like this this would actually be more entertaining to people to see. It would actually get people. Yeah. You know, like failing in a high live wire, a high wire wire act is actually you know just as entertaining as succeeding. So I don't know why Tubby yeah. is fired, um, but they decide it's like flaming death. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then they, they make Mrs. Elephant the new star, which I don't know why she wasn't already, because she was the one doing all the work. But Yeah, I mean, we d- we never saw anyone else perform except when they were doing the parade. Yeah. Um, so this is this is the end of the circus arc, I think. Is, do do yes. you miss anything else? And after this, the circus is not mentioned again. Nope, nope. Um Piccolo is basically like, hey, Tubby, why don't you come back to the orchestra? We're going because he had mentioned while they were in the car. Hey, tomorrow, you know, the whole orchestra, we're uh, we're going to go to Singing City. We're going to the Singing City to get a mel- We're all going to get melodies. You should come with us, Tubby. And now that Tubby's been fired from the circus, <laughs> he's like, all right, I'll, I'll do that. I'll I'll. Why didn't we do that in the first place? Why didn't anyone tell me that was where you go to get a melody? I mean, that. That is a very good question. And in fact, there's a lot of good questions that come up once we get to the singing city. Um, but um, also, I like that uh, the Piccolo is, you know, has completely forgiven Tubby for being such a dick to him earlier. Oh, yeah. The, the, this that really had didn't go anywhere at all. That plot line. No, um, it's just immediately forgiven because we got to get to singing city. We got a new thing that we're talking about now. We got a whole new bag. Um, yeah. And it's this. Now I'm into this cup and ball. Yeah. <laughs> they um, they get in the um, so they get in the bus. There's the bus, right? To go to singing city. Yeah. And the other instruments kind of, again, make fun of Tubby. I, I can't know. Are they I don't remember if they're making fun of him because they're like, oh, look. Oh, I think they're all like, you know, oh, look, the most famous tube in the world coming to, you know, that. Slum it up with us. <laughs> Piece of shit instruments. Yeah, that sort of thing. But then, also riding on on the bus is Prince Cello, who um, yeah, who, who was he part of the orchestra before? We didn't see him. No, we have not seen this guy before. Um, he's not introduced as Prince Cello at this point. He's just he's just a guy that looks he he's he's not like because um, most of the instruments are vaguely instrument like. This looks like. He, he looks like a, he's an anime guy, like a Bishonen anime guy who's wearing a cello cosplay is kind of what it is. Yes. Um, and he just is, he kind of looks like, <laughs> he looks like Kevin McDonald wearing the body of a guitar for underwear. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he's, um, he, he gets on the bus and he's all like, welcome to the, or- ba- welcome back, Tubby. 
everyone be quiet. Don't be mean to Tubby. And it's just like, who's this guy? Well, later on, we find out that this guy's a prince, a prince of the orchestra, uh, possibly the prince of a all prince. instruments. I don't know what, what the the way that instru- the, the political, the, the politics of instruments are not really clearly explained in this. So, you know. So, yeah. So, okay, Singing City. So they take this this dirt road out of town to a city which I guess is with giant harps for gates. So it's a gated community. And there's a giant castle there, too. I guess that's where the prince lives. Yeah, it, and it gets very Phantom Tollbooth-y, you know? Yeah. It, it does not feel like they're in the same world now. I mean, like, okay, how many... Uh, how many uh, sapient races have we met so far? There are instruments, there are humans, there are animals, and now with the prince, there are instrument-human hybrids. Yes. And then, and then there are, and then now we are introduced to a new race, which is melodies. Apparently, they're people. Yeah, they're kind of. Uh, I think they're they're people. The way they're drawn, they have basically kind of, um, they're, they have disembodied kind of big round heads like Canadians in South Park. And I think they're... Yeah, they're kind of Rayman-ish. Yeah, yeah. I think they're supposed to like recall musical notes a little bit or bring those to mind, but yeah, yeah they aren't quite musical notes. Um, but uh, they, um, but yeah, they live in this city and... Um, the city where if cars crash into each other, they turn into a big accordion for a moment before turning back into cars. And yeah. Um, and um, I think there's a song about the singing city and then they, all the instruments come into the city and, and the Herald who we mentioned earlier um, introduces them all. And it turns out, can you hear me actually is his catchphrase. Cause he always does this. Hear ye, hear ye. Can you hear me? Which they, they think is very funny cause they do it like three or four times. Um, and, uh, so all the instruments come in one by one and he announces them and Tubby is already in the city. So he's clapping for them all as they come in. But at the very end, he walks out the front gate and tries to come back in and the Herald Kind of like, like, hey, who the fuck are you? And he's like, I'm Toby the Tuba. And the Herald's like, it's Toby the Tuba. Which <laughs> which is probably the funniest line. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of amusing. Um, they also, they, they say last, lastly, the xylophone right before Tubby comes in. So again, it feels like yeah. he should be something, but... Tubby, you missed your cue. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, xylophone's there. He doesn't do anything. Yeah. But... Um, the humans who live in this world are all very Flintstones looking. Yes. Now, they... Okay, so... Okay. So, so what happens next? This is... This is very... I... Mm. It feels like they, they swapped in another script. Yeah, and it is... Um, okay. So, the, there's a big... There's it's it's uh, there's a little it's a little kind of Cinderella type stuff now because the the yeah. Prince Cello who I guess has lives in the castle in um, Singing City it seems like he runs the castle but 
he was with the orchestra in the real world, so I guess he had taken a break to go concertize in yes. in our. With you assumed this is now the real world. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I'm doing the thing like when in what what is it in that that shitty Oz adaptation where they're like, oh, Oz <laughs> yeah. in the real world, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember which Oz one that was actually. Um, well, anyway, I don't know either, but I know that uh, in the. Uh, the Mario Saturday morning cartoons, they referred to uh, the Mushroom Kingdom and then there was the real world. Oh, OK. So so yeah, that sort of thing, you know, it's it's basically yeah. I mean, it's not even a different world. We haven't gone through like a portal or anything. It's literally just the city where anthropomorphic melodies live. So it yeah. seems to be that King Cello, sorry, Prince Cello, he, he's having a big old ball, which includes a contest wherein melodies will compete and I'm not sure if if every instrument gets paired off with a melody or they're looking for one melody for the whole orchestra um, but uh, it's it's also the fact that the melodies in this they're from the orphanage right the melody orphanage so yeah so they're all kind of portrayed as children. And this gets this this feels uncomfortably like they're auctioning off child brides is is really it really does. Yeah. I mean, you you, if you want to be really generous, it could kind of comes across as like a cotillion or something. Yeah. I mean, it's like I don't know. Like, yeah, it's when a bunch of um, a bunch of instruments wearing like, you know, tuxedos drinking wine and they have these children come in and perform for them so they can choose the best. It feels very like, is this Epstein's Island or something? Cause I don't know what's happening, <laughs> but um, then, okay. So they, um, but, but on his way to the big ball, uh, Tubby passed by the orphanage and he saw that there was one, there's one orphan melody that does not look like a child. She looks like a full grown woman with a bosom and everything. Um, yeah. Or I guess more that she's got like a little wasp waist. So I guess that yeah. implies bosom. But. She has hips, I guess. Yeah. 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 Uh, it means she's, I mean, she's submissive and breedable. Ah, there we go. Uh, 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 Tubby is a return tuba, you know, he's a trad mm. tuba. Um, but she is also in the orphanage, which is run by, the terrible Mrs. Squeak or Miss Squeak who. Yeah. She looks like she might be part violin, but she's mostly human. Yeah. And, um, t- some cop, like a melody cop explains to Tubby like, Oh yeah, that that's Celeste up there. And that's the terrible Mrs. Squeak who runs the orphanage. It's like, okay. So we all know that the orphanage is run by like an evil woman. Okay. Um, yeah. And Mrs. Squeak, doesn't like Celeste and decides to lock her in the closet and not bring her to the ball. Um, but then you're going to be stuck with her. Yeah. I does, you didn't like her. <laughs> it's, it's not really explained why this happens. I guess she just, she, yeah, she's just mean to her for no reason. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, and it's funny because at the ball, Tubby's all like, Hey, where's Celeste? And she's like, she's locked in a closet back home. It's like, oh, where'd she belong? Yeah, it's like, okay. What's the, <laughs> it's so weird. Um, but, also, is a celeste an instrument? I've never heard of a celeste. Um, the, the celesta is an instrument. I know. Or maybe it's celesta. I'm not sure. 
you know, you know the 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 dance of the sugar plum fairy, right? I yeah. That's traditionally played on the Celesta. Oh, okay. Um, because yeah, when when she's first introduced and the guys and and the the cop says that her name is Celeste, Tubby's like, oh, like the instrument. Um, so I I. I guess I wouldn't, I've never heard of, I've never heard of it, but I'm not like. It's a very small keyboard instrument that uh, sort of resembles a toy piano and uh, makes its music is, it's actually a percussion instrument because it strikes uh, little metal, little metal blocks to play music. Oh, okay. So, um, it's okay. So Tubby, Tubby is smitten with Celeste. And um, so, while the ball is going on, he runs off to save Celeste and get her out of the closet. Um, his little head guy helps him out with that. Yeah. Yeah, the little head guy. Yeah, what does he? What does the? What does he do? Um, he he, he, like, he tells Tubby to use his head. Um, oh, that's right. And Tubby first tries to batter it down with his head, but then thinks of better. He uses his tuba powers and like blows it down with the force of his. Yeah, he launches his little self at it like a human cannonball. Yes. So it is a physical thing. Can other people see it? It's. Do other people have these? You know. Yeah. Nobody ever. Yeah. It's his. Uh, it's his daemon. Like in. Uh, you know. Um, his dark materials. <laughs> but uh, oh, that's a celeste. Yeah. Oh, it looks like a Hammond like a organ. Little, little bit of piano. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um. So yeah, this is what Ch- Celeste is named after. This this uh weird little piano that kind of looks like a like a grill. Um. And um, <laughs> yeah, but Tubby is smitten with her. Um. Meanwhile, so here's the weird thing. Okay, back at the the ball, the different melodies are performing like for the the. You know, I, I guess to try and win this contest, right? Yeah. And we get like one does, you know, one does the polka, you know, one does, you know, one does a waltz. My favorite is the one who has the dirge. Yeah, I want to know about what's her deal because there's this one kind, like all they all kind of dance and prance, and then there's this one, this one blue-haired melody who kind of just like slogs across the floor, looking all like mopey and sad, and they play a dirge, <laughs> and everybody just starts yawning, and. I, I I don't think the point of a dirge is to be sleepy. Is it? No, no, is it? I mean, are you supposed to fall asleep during a funeral? Yeah, I didn't think that was really what it was for, but like I felt I was kind of thinking like, oh, the way they portray it, like everyone's kind of like being mean to that one. I thought she was going to, you know, like you know how it is, like kind of like be a, a, a foil for Tubby in a way, or not a foil, but you know. Cause it's like, she's ex- like, she should be his, she should be his match. Yeah. She should be the one that everyone laughs at. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, well, I could be, I could play a beautiful song if it was slow and sad. If it were a dirge, that's what tubas can do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I thought I felt, felt like watching this. It was like, that is the natural thing to happen here. It's like, look, he's looking for his melody. That is the melody that fits him. And, you know, she, she's experiencing the same pain that Tubby is feeling. So why is she not the focus? Uh, but she, she just kind of, you know, she's just this incidental character who doesn't get any, you know, doesn't, I don't know. I felt like, I felt like she should have been a bigger thing, but. Yeah. I, I mean, I immediately saw her as like, Hey, that one's different. I want to learn more about her. Yeah. It was like, I want to know more about this little goth melody, you know, but <laughs> yeah. she, she doesn't, um, 
Yeah, the the movie immediately forgets about her because Tubby brings Celeste back and okay, so then Celeste basically like she wows them all and Prince Cello comes towards her and she goes towards Prince Cello and um Tubby seeing that they are going to embrace, you know, and and do that thing that princess prince thing, you know, he immediately mm-hmm. rushes between them and uh cock blocks prince cello and is all yeah. like uh this is mine i i want to claim Dibs. yeah i claim this melody as mine she belongs to me i own her yeah he should have he should have licked his finger and touched her yeah and prince prince cello being a man of honor um you know he recognizes dibs so he steps back but um <laughs> Uh, Tubby then like he tries to dance with Celeste but he's a farty tuba so it doesn't really work very well so he kind of does that thing where he's like he realizes that um, you know uh, Celeste and Prince Cello are are better matched so he kind of steps back and lets Prince Cello have her and he does a thing where he walks away like all sad and I guess we're supposed to be like oh Tubby you're the the bravest man I've ever known because you you, uh, (laughs) did this but it's like it's like, oh, Tubby, you, you, you did the, you didn't force yourself on a woman, so we all have to give you an applause. Our hero. It's like our hero. Instead, you let. Uh, instead, you're like Prince Cello. You can own this woman. She can be your property. She can be your chattel slave. So, um, yeah, whatever. Um, not. My, I don't know. I, I guess she likes. I guess she's into Prince Cello, so it's okay. But I don't know. Th- this. This whole sequence, this oh, this whole segment of the movie is so incredibly weird. I just, I, I can't get over how how child brighty it all feels. It keeps changing the rules on you over and over. Yeah, it's like I thought the way they introduced it, it sounded like everyone was going to go to get a melody of their own, you know, which yeah, which again makes it sound like it makes it sound like yeah, Prince. It makes it sound like we are a we're a Boy Scout troop, and our scoutmaster is taking us to a brothel. You know, that's what it sounds like. Um, <laughs> we're the boys from Camp Cucamonga. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my mother sent us here to teach Deja's nature's ways. Uh, <laughs> learn to make sparks by rubbing sticks together. But uh, classic. If we catch the if we catch a melody, we'll set the what's the blues. <laughs> But uh, they um, then it turns out, I guess they're, they're not each getting a melody. There's I think it's no wait. The, they're just picking one. Yeah, the melodies something. do stand next to instruments, but it's not really clear to me if that means that they each have picked one or they just are standing there now. You know, it's not really. No, but I mean, that wouldn't make sense anyway, because the whole orchestra has to play the same melody or else it's, you know, not not it's madness. Yeah. Um, so Tubby just doesn't even wait for the bus. He walks all the way home from Singing City. Oh, yeah. We're done with Singing City now. Who cares about that? We're done. Never going <laughs> to yeah. mention it again. Prince Cello, out of the picture. He's, you know, now we're... We don't see what happens to the melodies. This is like, okay, now we are returning to the rest of the story as laid down by by the uh, original puppetoon. Yes. So Tubby is hanging out by a lake, being sad. A frog, a bullfrog appears, and um, it's basically all like, uh, it's it's doing that, this is a frog, it's like, oh, it's, you know, it talks like Peter Ustinov, and it's all like, 
you know, it, it's got like, <laughs> what is it? It's got like a song that it wants Tubby to play because he's, you know, he sounds like a frog. So when he plays it, he can play frog songs. And the frog is like, take it back to your orchestra. Play this song. Yeah. And Tubby does. Well, I've never heard a tuba go brekkakex, kalax, coax. As we know, the frogs actually say, Edelus, harshman. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I guess Tubby just takes it back to the orchestra. He doesn't actually... It's, he doesn't actually give the stuff the conductor. He just starts playing it in the middle of whatever piece they're playing. And yeah. And they have a, like a special guest conductor too. Yeah. It's um, you might know him. It's, it's wit from wit's end of uh, oracles and odyssey. Sorry. Uh, Adventures and <laughs> odyssey. Um, yeah. I don't know. They say his name, but I don't remember what it is. It's, it's like rigatoni or Leopold. something. Leopold. That's what? Leopold. Leopold. Nah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, they. Um, but but he's intrigued. He's intrigued by Tubby's performance. So he, um, you know, he uh, he says, "I want to hear more." So Tubby plays more, and I guess that's that's when they he realized that tubas can also sing, and I, I guess that's the end of Tubby the tuba. Yeah, and every yeah. So he generates one of those melodies that everyone catches and throws back and forth. So this has all been like a big game of keep away or something. Yeah. And they he finally got the keep away. Hey! Oh, I just noticed that, uh, you know, you don't see much of him, but the prince is playing in the orchestra, too. Oh, is he? Okay, so I guess the prince yeah. is back. Um, it's funny that... He also seems to be playing himself, unlike the rest of them. You know, I do think it's very funny that the cello is, like, the prince, because I feel like if you had royalty in the orchestra, it should be the, the conductor's baton or something, you know? Yeah, the baton is not a person no. for some reason. Uh, the puppetoon version of the baton is a person, though. The baton is like a little, mm. he's a hes a stick that, that yells. He's kind of like, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's like a real baton. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, that is, uh, yeah, so that was, um, that was uh, the Thanksgiving story of Tubby the Tuba. Um, yes, and what a Thanksgiving story it was. Why I feel I feel like I've been planting corn with Squanto already. It's the greatest Thanksgiving story ever told. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel like I'm, I feel I feel like a regular Mile Standish after uh, seeing that. Um, <laughs> Vile Standish. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this, um, yeah. So um, you can see why. I believe modern audiences would not gel with Tubby the Tuba. I, I, and contemporary audiences did not either. No, no. Again, this is this this is a fix up. It's just three unrelated things happening, and um, not not particularly interesting unrelated things. Um, no, I sort of feel like they were like okay. We'll have three stories in here, and if you cut one out, then you can run it as a one-hour special, and if you cut them both out, then you can run it as a seven-minute cartoon. That's true. I mean, they did make it in such a way that you could cut things out without losing anything. Um, you know, it, it it's, feels like that's by design, so... Um. It is. Yes, yeah, it's like how sometimes you would see theatrical movies that have a fade out for the commercial built right in mm. in the theater. That's always weird. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, yes, this is. Um, I guess they. I guess they had high expectations for Tubby the Tuba. Mark Tripp really thought they had something here. 
Um, but honestly, Tubby the Tuba comes across as the kind of story that uh, a local author uh, has printed through a vanity press. It's it's a very Ernie Hergen Higenberger. <laughs> yes, Ernie Her- Hergenroder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's probably that's unfair. I think because he's he's actually a local artist, not a writer. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I shouldn't, shouldn't, I shouldn't. Well, he just, yeah. He just uh, draws what he's paid to. Yeah. He doesn't write the story. I shouldn't blame him for value mountain, the treasure of value mountain no. or whatever it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, no, you're correct. This is very much a local, uh, local author makes good type story. Um, because if you know anything about local authors, besides the one thing that they love to do besides doing writing terrible stories and publishing through vanity presses. They love anthropomorphizing random shit, you know, like, um, like Alden blossoms or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's a funny thing because I remember reading like one of those, um, uh, you know, like every so often you can read like in writer's market or guide or something and they'll interview agents and, and be all like, okay, this is what we want. Right. Um, yeah. And I remember one of them, one agent was like, look, please stop anthropomorphizing everything. It's a hard enough sell getting, you know, anthropomorphic animals out there. You don't need like anthropomorphic, like trash cans and, you know, bed frames and light bulbs and, you know, um, and, uh, in my local bookshop there, uh, there, there are a lot of children's books written by local authors. And I always remember one of them, Barfy the Barf Bag. That is that is an actual <laughs> book written by a local author here in my town, illustrated by uh, the guy, our own Ernie Higgin Hergen Bottom of of this town, whose yes, um, whose name I can't remember at all uh, because I'm an idiot, and I I, I dragged out. Ernie Hergy Higginbottom's name as far as possible to give myself time to Google it to see if I could find the name, but I didn't. So, um, anyway, uh, well, no, you're now you say that, but then you go to Target and it's full of books like uh, the Bad Seed, the Smart Cookie. The, the Cool Bean, The Great Egg Scape, The Big Cheese, The Sour Grape. I guess like, yeah, like, um, you know, um, uh, actual authors do this sort of shit as well. Yes. But, uh, they actually, they can actually afford good artists. Yeah. I guess like a lot of these kind of, you know, a lot of these children's books that aren't particularly good can lean on the strength of the art. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like, this is a, you know, we got to have this, uh, book up at the front. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, not Newberry award winner. The, the Caldecott award winner. And you know, it's like, no, that just means it has nice illustrations. The book itself is it's, it's called Hitler did nothing wrong. <laughs> Ooh, problematic. Yeah, but it was, it was a Caldecott in Germany. <laughs> well, you know. Well, Caldecott. In 1944. <laughs> Caldecott. Wow. Well, that is, that is the, um, that is the, uh, what do you call it? The, the mark of quality. Cause you know, if a uh, make way yeah, for really ducklings is. gets it. So <laughs> make way for ducklings. Uh, let's see. Oh man. How many, 
How many of these have I even seen? Oh, blueberries for Sal? Really? Of course. Well, the problem with these is that a lot of them were published in black and white, so they don't look as good now. Mm. I mean, oh man, McElligot's Pool was nominated but didn't win. Boo. I mean, I feel like the Caldecott Award is like. Uh, well, wait, am I thinking of the Caldecott Award? Let me look at this. Uh, I got to look at this. It's one of the. It's it's if you're a kid. Uh, oh yeah, no, Caldecott is fine. That's for the little kids' books, right? Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you what the mark of. Are you thinking of the Newberry? Yeah, that's the mark of death. Like you see the Newberry Award on the front of a book, and it's just like, oh god, this is gonna be a slog. This is gonna be. Hey, if it's like it's it's like you know when you see that Newberry Award, it's like oh, it's probably it's probably a book about like you know. Uh, like a a ten year old kid dying of cancer in a post irradiated like hellscape after nuclear war, and you know yeah. getting raped. Or else it's Maniac McGee. Oh my god, Maniac McGee! What a ripoff! What a ripoff that one is. <laughs> I'm sorry. You read that and it's like, oh, this this is based on a true story, right? Otherwise, no, it's not. It's just all made up. But it's like, it's like, oh, but he's 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 going to city where like the white. They're white people and black people are like not allowed to mix. And it's like, when does this book take place? Isn't this contemporary? This is like what the nineties or something. They still, have, they still have what sundown cities. What is this? Uh, in the nineties, they might have. I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'll admit, I was I was living overseas in the nineties, so I don't know what America was like. Um, you know, yeah. I was in nineteen ninety one. I might not bet against. It. Oh my god! I guess I guess maybe nineteen ninety one. Like you know, Americans would pick up Maniac McGee and be like, "Wait a minute, black people and white people, why they should just we we should all get along." Thank you, Maniac McGee. You're the wisest man I've ever known. Thank you for showing us the error of our ways here in racist America. Though, you know what? Um, I, I, I make fun, but um, considering how much we backslid on these issues, maybe we need Maniac McGee to come back. Yeah. <laughs> we need the Maniac McGee movie right now. They, make the Maniac McGee yeah. movie. They say Maniac McGee was born in a junkyard. They say his stomach was a cereal box and his heart was a sofa spring. I don't know why they say that. That sounds pretty patently made up. <laughs> Do they say that in the book? <laughs> no. But, well, the first couple parts, yeah. Because I was, I was going to say, like, that sounds like a much better book than you actually get. Because it feels like, yeah. oh, I'm going to get, like, a fucking junk punk robot boy? Nope. He's just regular. <laughs> he just runs fast. Okay. Yeah. I guess he runs fast. He runs like yeah. a maniac. Oh, I get it. Is that why they call him Maniac McGee? Yeah. They also call him that because his last name is McGee. Ergo, the full name, Maniac McGee. Okay, got it. Just like, just like the show Maniac McGee and Me. Oh yeah, I remember that's that. I remember that show. We used to watch that in. Uh, we used to watch that in uh, that um, that Bible camp where we had the killer monkey. <laughs> Maniac Bible camp. Maniac Bible camp. <laughs> The new that sounds like the new. Oh man! Now that's a great horror movie. You know what? Right yeah, there. we're yeah. Gonna, my Maniac Bible Camp. We're gonna that's the next big thing. I like. It sounds like an Airdorf <laughs> game. Oh, Maniac Bible Camp. Okay, you know what? We're gonna patent this Maniac Bible Camp. Um, nobody else do this. Maybe that should be the game that we do. Oh, there you go. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We we put a pin in that. Remember Maniac Bible Camp. <laughs> Maniac Bible Camp. <laughs> um. 
Okay. Um, but Tubby the Tuba. Uh, we got a, a little off Tubby course on Maniac. Maniac <laughs> McGee. Did, yeah. Um, well, have we learned any? We learned a lot from Maniac McGee, but do we learn anything from Tubby the Tuba? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, learn a lesson from Ed Catmull and know when to pull out and how to recognize that somebody can't actually bring a movie to uh, completion. That wise, wise words. Um, in fact, you might say that he, he made out like a bandit. He sure did. <laughs> so, um, he was able to, because of that, uh, Pixar did not suffer any setbacks because of this film and they went on nope. to make Tin Toy. And um, they made other movies too. I can't remember the names right now. The Good Dinosaur. You all love that. <laughs> yeah, that's the the Good Dinosaur is where everyone started to get a little tired of this whole Pixar thing. Yeah, I don't think anyone actually saw that one, which is kind of ironic I, coming from me. I did. Oh, you did? How was it? I I mean, it was okay, but I felt like it was. I felt like they did not really explore the concept that they set forward. That's like, okay, so it's about a world where dinosaurs have been around for 65 million years, and now they're basically, you know, they're basically quadrupedal humans because they never actually, because they never went extinct. It's like, okay, and then they just, you know, they just walk around in the wild and eat leaves. It's like, you know, did they, did this need to take place 65 million years later just so you could have a, a human? Oh, yeah, that's weird. They should have just been like, they're dinosaurs, there's a human here too, because we're doing Flintstone logic. Yeah. Like, I feel like some nerd at Pixar, they were going to do that, and some nerd was like, um, actually, actually, excuse me, excuse me, sir, Mr. Uh, Mr. Catmullen, sir, um, actually, humans did not live at the same time as dinosaurs, and so Ed, Ed Catmullen was all like, oh, God, fine, 65 million years later. Happy? There yeah. you go. Um. <laughs> Now that man was John Lasseter. <laughs> That's why he got kicked out of Pixar. Also being a sex yes. pest, I think. That was him, yes. right? <laughs> yeah, that was him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, they say that, you know, all the women at Pixar got used to sort of tying themselves into knots to protect anything that he might put a hand on. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Very disappointing. Very disappointing. I saw I saw him. I saw him at uh uh what do you call it? San Diego Comic-Con. I saw him give a talk with Hayao Miyazaki, his friend. Oh. And yeah, it's kind of, and you know, Miyazaki, I'm sure must be tremendously disappointed in him too. Yeah. Miyazaki, I imagine seeing that like thing and, uh, uh, Joe Lasseter is all like, yeah, you know, the dames, you gotta, gotta, yeah, yeah, you gotta, boom, gotta, you love them skirts. And Miyazaki's like, you know, it's really great slime people. We need more of those. <laughs> yeah, I really like when they're a gooey. Oh, yeah. He loves gooey. He loves the goo. But, you know. Oh, yes. I'm being, That's going to be in the new movie. I'm really looking forward to the boy in the harem. I, I'm being really, like, churlish about Miyazaki. <laughs> the greatest, yeah. the, you know, the greatest um, filmmaker of, of, of Japan's favorite son. The man who, like, revolutionized animation is a storytelling medium, you know. Uh, and your one joke about him is that he's into slime. He's into slime. I mean, no shade, you know. It's like, we're all into something. Um, who is the yeah. guy who made, like, Iron Boy? Not Iron Boy. You know, um, Astro Boy? 
Oh, oh, Osama Tezuka? Yeah, he 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 did no legit uh, hentai furry art. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's pretty. And he wasn't even really hiding it. No, I mean it's like you know what? Hey, let your freak flag f- fly. Yeah. You know, some good on him. I mean, I think uh, um, I think it's great when like because uh, I've said it before when you are you know an artist of any medium, you have that superpower. That superpower is making what makes you horny real. So good on him. Um, uh, the really, the, the thing about that, uh, talk that I saw them give was that they they had a whole bunch of people lined up to ask questions. And like one of the last questions was somebody who asked, uh, Miyazaki, sir, why do you, why do you have so many girls in your work? What? (laughs) And yeah, and there was this sort of like pause, like, like, is he serious? (laughs) (laughs) And Miyazaki was like, because girls are strong and brave. (laughs) Well, you know what? I will say. Th- I will say this for the man: amazing self restraint. I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Like, if if I received that question, I don't think I would. I would be like, I don't think I would even understand it. You know? You'd be like, hold my jacket. I was like, what? I was like, hey, excuse me. This is more of a comment than a than a question. Um, so um, that does remind me. One time, I actually went to see a talk by. Bruce Campbell of Evil cool. Evil Dead fame, and um, he was taking audience questions, and um, and he said, uh, and, and he said, all right, I'm going to take one more question. And someone says, okay, what? And the last question was, when's there going to be another Evil Dead sequel? And Bruce Campbell like paused and he kind of looked into the the ether, you know, kind of stroking his chin, and he said, when will there be another Evil Dead sequel? I pause because this is this is such an unusual question. I've never been asked this before. <laughs> and then he just turns to the audience and says, I'm going to take another last question because that was a poor question. That was a very, very poor question. <laughs> I always thought that was, uh, it was very funny. Kind of a dick move, but at the same time, I mean, I, I can't really blame him because it's like, come on. How many times has he been asked yeah. that? Um that guy went home and hung himself. <laughs> well, Bruce Campbell was very nice to me, though. He signed my book. Good. Um, Good. That's the important thing. Fuck that other guy. Should have asked a better question. I don't know why people <laughs> ask questions these things anyway. They never have good ones. It's like, no. it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to Bruce Campbell talk. I better study his entire oeuvre so I can say something, re- so I can come up with a really good question. It's like, I'm sorry, you're not like working for the New Yorker. You're not going to have a good question to ask him. You know, mm-hmm. you're just, you just want to get up and hear your voice and have him say something in response. You can be like, Hey, I talked to Bruce Campbell, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard anyone. I've been to lots of these talks and no one ever asks good questions. I do remember like one time I went to like uh, the Star Trek convention. Like there was a, it was, I wouldn't say a good question, but kind of a cool moment. Like some guy was talking to, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, asking Jordy LaForge a question, not Jordy LaForge, the man who yeah. plays Jordy LaForge. <laughs> LeVar Burton. Thank yeah. you. LeVar yeah. Burton, who is um, uh, probably one of the, one of the nicest people in the entire world, you know, um, I'm sure I can't imagine, you know, him not being one of the nicest people in the world. I mean, but yeah, every, every interaction I've, I've seen, it's like, oh, he's literally LeVar Burton from TV's rating rainbow. I guess it makes sense. He's kind of playing himself there. Um, you yeah. know, even with the same name, but like, so he was, he was talking, <laughs> the guy who asked the question was an, was a, um, 
engineer who was blind and was talking, wanted, oh, wow. was asking, to, saying, you know, how Jordy LaForge being blind in Star Trek meant a lot to him. And he was mentioned like that he, you know, really wanted, had always wanted to like have a chance to like play with the visor. And so like LeVar Burton was like, Oh, I got it right here. And he came down and like, you know, let the guy play around with it, which was, you know, kind of fun, kind of a cool little yeah. thing. Um, I don't remember what the question was. I don't think it really mattered. It was just like, Oh, it's really nice that he's like, you know, he got that opportunity. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm dropping stuff all over the place. Oh, Hopefully it wasn't important. Anyway, um, people ask dumb <laughs> questions at these things. That's the point. Um, yes. Anyway, uh, but tell me. The anyway, two but if I get to mm-hmm. I ever get to go to a uh, Pixar thing, I'm going to ask them. So what happened with Tubby the Tube? Oh, yeah. That would actually be a very good question. <laughs> yeah, they'd probably have a lot to say that they've been ruminating on for the past forty-five years. It would be very funny if they were like, "No one can know about this." <laughs> they they immediately like <laughs> shut the doors. Black bag me. (laughs) (laughs) No one gets out alive. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, man, yeah. Um, Tell me the tuba. So this was, um, yeah. So I hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) Tuba-tastic Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yes, and if you make tuba noises after Thanksgiving, we're not going to (laughs) complain. Oompa, oompa. Oompa. (laughs) Let's cut it right there. (laughs) 